Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. I'm joined now for this week's interview by Kane Warwick, who's the founder of an Australian-based cryptocurrency called Haven. And what he's tried to do is produce a stable cryptocurrency, one that is in fact tied, uh, well, sort of tied to the US dollar so that it doesn't uh, jump around like Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the others. Um, uh, these guys, there's a few of these things that are starting up and uh, they reckon that the future lies in stable or stabilizing cryptocurrencies. Um, and uh, one of them is in Australia and Kane uh, Warwick is the founder of it. So he's Kane Warwick, founder and CEO of Haven. That's H-A-V-V-E-N. Okay, perhaps we could start by explaining the problem that you were trying to solve, because I think it's one that we all recognise, which is the the volatility of most cryptocurrencies, the instability of their prices. So you, I think, recognise that as an issue and uh, have come, tried to come up with a stable currency. Yeah, that's correct, yes. Yeah, so I mean, it, it is an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting problem because, on one hand, for traders, volatility uh, is the lifeblood, right? You know, you want as much volatility as possible to to trade against, uh, which is which is great. You know, again, great for traders. Um, not so much uh, for people who are, who are you know trying to actually use cryptocurrency. And so, uh, my background is in retail and payments, and back in 2012. Uh, Asher uh, from Coinjar, uh, who you know is one of the, the main, I guess, uh, Bitcoin exchanges or, or providers uh, in Australia, um, was trying to set up a, a payment gateway using Bitcoin. And when we were looking at it, it just wasn't going to be viable to use uh, as a merchant. There was too much risk, and you know customers uh, weren't really inclined to spend Bitcoin because the price was so volatile. So I've always seen volatility, you know, as a, a sort of impediment to uh, general usage and, and everyday transactions for crypto. So uh, explain to us your solution because I've you know I've tried to go through it on your website, try to understand the workflow uh, that you've got there and it's way too complicated for me. Maybe you can explain it simply, how, how the flow works, how the stability is achieved. Sure, sure. So the way that we approach uh, stability is to use the existing... Uh, paradigm of a closed loop payment network, so American Express or PayPal or Visa, uh, and the way that those systems work, you know, some people might be uh, more or less familiar with it, is the say you know American Express, they've got a database of all of the uh, ledger entries, the debits and credits that have happened in the system, um, and they administer that system and they ensure that anyone who's transacting within that system. Uh, is you know all the transactions are, are effectively uh, being managed by them. So it's a fully trusted system. So as a merchant, you don't need to trust the customer. You just trust American Express and vice versa. As a customer, you know that you can trust American Express to to pay the merchant so that you can wipe you know swipe your credit card and and the transaction can be completed. And so what we've looked to do is to replicate that same model, but remove the the central authority uh, of the closed loop payment. You know, network provider, the PayPal or American Express. So what we've built is a system that operates using 
uh, one cryptocurrency, and that cryptocurrency value is maintained by uh, people who basically provide the collateral um, for the system. So, uh, so you come into the system and you will uh, essentially stake the system and you putting up value and staking the system gives everyone who's transacting uh, in the network confidence that the, the network is collateralized. In the same way that a merchant um, or a user of American Express has confidence in the American Express network because American Express is a $80 billion company. So that's the, essentially what we're trying to do is to replicate that closed loop uh, payment network system. And, and the way that we collateralize the system is through fees. So American Express makes money because they charge fees every time you, know, you swipe your credit card, um, as well as interest and, and a few other things. But about 50% of their revenue comes from fees. The same thing is true of the Haven Network. Every time someone transacts in the Haven Network, because they're getting utility from you know, being able to use a stable cryptocurrency, they, they, uh, they essentially uh, pay fees whenever they use it. And, uh, and those fees go to the people who collateralize the network, who provide the security and, and trust. So you've got two, it seems to me you've got two cryptocurrencies. One's called Havens and the other is called Nomens, N-O-M-I-N. And Correct. the one that is used for transacting is the Nomens and the Haven is the collateral. So explain to us the relationship between those two things. So the, the Haven token is effectively a right to participate in the network. So if you're holding Haven tokens, you're able to come into the network and you can put up the value in those Haven tokens uh, as a, a sort of surety or, or you know, uh, as collateral for people who are transacting. So when you stake the, the network with Havens, uh, you are able to issue nomens, uh, which are denominated in USD. So to make it easier, we call it NUSD. Uh, and when you issue NUSD against your Havens, you can sell them, people can purchase them, they can transact them. Uh, and they know that the NUSD uh, has value because it's backed by the Haven token that you staked in the system. And so is the NUSD held at a specific value? Is, there, is the exchange rate between the nomens and the US dollar uh, held steady, is it? It, it, it is. It's not a fixed or, or a pegged uh, exchange rate, but the, because the value of NUSD uh, comes from the havens that have been staked, uh, you know, so, so a, a similar uh, approach has been taken by Tether. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the intent with Tether was for every Tether token that's out there, you've got $1 uh, in, in USD that's in a bank account somewhere. And so you and I can transact Tether knowing that there's, in theory, a dollar uh, that has been you know, placed in a bank account somewhere, which is backing it. The, the challenge with that is obviously that it's very centralized. And we have to, if we're going to transact Tether, uh, we have to trust that the people who are administering the Tether network are actually fully collateralizing the network. The, the difference with our, uh, our approach is that the value of Havens is on the blockchain. So it's not stored in a bank account somewhere. So you can look and see that, uh, you know, for let's say there's $100,000 in circulating currency in, in NUSD, there needs to be uh, some uh, larger amount of haven value that's been staked in order to issue that. So five hundred thousand dollars. So, uh, so, so I take it. I take it. There's a, um, a fixed number of havens that are issued. Is that correct? 
correct. Yeah, that's that's correct. There's 100 million havens. And and they have all been issued, is that right? They have, yeah. So uh, so we had a, a token sale on the 28th of Feb, uh, where we sold off 60 million of them, and then uh, we've distributed the other uh, tokens to various parties, including our foundation, uh, which is based in Australia. And do you have a, um, a maximum uh, individual ownership uh, of havens? There isn't a maximum. Uh, there's, you know, there's various parties. The, the foundation has about 12% uh, of the tokens, which is the largest single uh, holder of havens. Uh, but there's various other parties that participate in the sale that have, you know, a few million havens uh, that have been issued to them. So what? Um, so so what you're saying is that um, the the users of Nomans pay a fee to the uh, to the holders of the Haven collateral. So what sort of return do the Haven owners get on their investment? That's a, a very good question. And I guess what it comes down to is the growth of the network. So at the moment, there's no transaction, so there's no fees. Uh, but we are running some tests at the moment. So we have a, uh, an initial test uh, implementation, which is running on the main Ethereum network right now. Um, and that's going to run for the next uh, two months, probably. And then at that point, we will uh, we'll roll out the, the full solution, which will allow uh, people to actually stake their havens and to issue nomens. And once that happens and once people start transacting, then you know, the fees will accrue to haven holders. The interesting thing, I suppose, about the, the way that the, the system is structured, because havens uh, are you know, just a free-floating uh, market value, whatever the market determines, the yield... Um, will kind of be determined by the growth of the network as much as anything else. So, you know, if transaction volume is increasing very rapidly, then the the price of havens, you know, could increase significantly. But we think eventually some equilibrium will be reached where, you know, the the yield is, is probably some single digit percentage uh, annually. No, but who sets the fee for transacting moments? Uh, initially, it's set by the foundation. And, and the fee will be 15 basis points. Um, so it's quite a low fee. And the intent, uh, obviously, you know, much lower than, uh, than most credit card networks or, or PayPal, et cetera. And the intent behind that is to encourage, uh, you know, high volume transactions. So, you know, trading obviously is one example, um, cross-border remittance. There's a number of uh, different use cases. So but how many, how many havens are behind each nomen or how many nomens can be issued against each haven. So it's a it's a fraction. So um, right now, uh, each haven is worth about uh, thirty five cents US. Uh, so you know forty five cents Australian. Um, so the the initial percentage of uh, nomens that will be able to be issued is about twenty percent. So if you had two havens right now, you'd issue about twenty cents uh, worth of nomens. And obviously they're fractional, like like all cryptocurrencies. So you know you can you can denominate them down to 18 decimal places. I'm just trying to get a sense of because it's 15 basis points on 20% then in that case. Yeah. For a, for a yeah, haven holder, right? Yeah. Correct. Well, that's not much. I mean, that, that's not much of a return. That's what, that's point three. That's point three. Is that right? I'm just trying to. Uh, so, so I guess the, the, the thing to take into account though is once the nomens are out there, uh, if you're a haven holder who has staked the system, you get uh, your percentage of all of the fees uh, that are generated in that fee period. So let's say over the course of a month, 
you know, if there if there have been, uh, let's say, you, you know, the foundation oh, is an example that has yeah, so, 12%. So the, the, yeah. the, the 15 basis points is on transactions, so there could be a lot of transactions. Every transaction. Yeah, it could be a lot yeah. of transactions, ideally, yes. Yeah. Right. So, and so, therefore, as a haven holder, you could get capital gain because the if, as, if the transactions increased in number, um, then your haven would be worth more than 35 cents. That's that's the intent exactly, and the the sort of secondary benefit to that as well is that as the collateral value of havens increases, you can issue more uh, NUSD against that value. So you know initially you can only issue twenty cents, but if the price of havens were to increase to say five or ten dollars, you'd be able to issue you know uh, one or two dollars worth of nomens for every haven. The trouble is, it's a I mean it's a stable currency and all that, but but it's also a speculation because. Uh, there might be you, you might flame out and the thing mightn't work. I mean, you, you're up against other competitors. I noticed that there's something called MakerDAO, which is doing the same thing with with the stable currency. And and whereas your um, uh, market cap is what 29, 21 million, theirs is over three hundred million. So they've they've got a big yeah, start right. on you. They've got a big they do. start on you. Uh, I mean, you could, so yeah, I mean, it's hard, I mean, and in this world, it seems to me it's likely to be winner take all. So I mean, I'm not sure that. Like it's a bit of a bet on a on a on a long shot haven, isn't it? Well, it, it comes down to the mechanism. So uh, Maker obviously has a head start on us in that they've been in market for about uh, three years now. Uh, but we have a view that our mechanism uh, is quite different to theirs and is much more likely to scale. So they they launched about three months ago, and their uh, die their stable currency has been pretty stable um, during that period. Um, and obviously, that's impressive considering the market has fluctuated you know, quite a bit over the last three months. Uh, but the challenge that we see uh, that they're going to have is in actually scaling and, and getting enough currency out there to actually support use cases. So at the moment, there's about, I think, $20 million worth of die that's been issued. Uh, and the, the challenge, that, that, again, that we see is how do you go from $20 million, you know, to put it in perspective, Tether has about $2.2 billion dollars. Uh, worth of Tether has been issued. Um, so, you know, there's a big, big gap between where Tether is right now. And a lot of people understand that Tether has, you know, some pretty uh, considerable challenges due to the, the centralization and the lack of transparency with it. But in order to take on Tether, you need to be able to scale up to hundreds of millions of dollars. And so our view is that the, the mechanism that we're using and charging fees on transactions will be far more scalable. So, so what specifically is different about your system to the Maker system? Um, presumably, you studied their system and uh, uh, identified what you regard as their weakness. What is it? So, the uh, the big weakness is scalability. Uh, so, the way that the way that Tether, sorry, the way that Maker works, the issuance mechanism is you stake a uh, say in right now Ether. You put Ether into a uh, CDP, a collateralized debt position. And against that value, you can issue DAI, which is their stable coin. Um, so it's, it's not too dissimilar to what we're saying, where you're staking havens. The difference is that because no fees are charged uh, when people transact in DAI, uh, there's no really strong incentive for someone to actually issue DAI. Um, the, the, the challenge is that you need to get a lot of people putting Ether into CDPs in order for it to grow. So, as you know, as an example, you'd need four hundred million dollars worth of uh, of Ether put into you know these CDPs in order to get even to a tenth of where uh, where Tether is. Uh, 
Whereas on our side, because we're using uh, havens and we're using the transaction fees from the network as the collateral, as transaction volume grows, the network scales up. I suppose fundamentally, um, this whole thing is based on the proposition that um, uh, that there is going to be a need for uh, using cryptocurrencies for transactions for um, not just not just store of value, but also for um, the other purposes of money, such as um, you know uh, transactions and so on. So, um, and you were talking about American Express before, and I think reading your white paper, a lot of the you know the philosophy behind what you're doing, and I presume what Baker is doing, is the proposition that the existing payments mechanisms are insecure. And I guess the problem, it seems to me, is that it doesn't seem that insecure. I mean, American Express is fine. I mean, you know, they've been going for a long time. Uh, it's very unlikely they're going to run off with the money and go to South America or something. So I'm just wondering whether you're trying to solve a problem that doesn't really exist. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And, and we're not directly trying to take on American Express as a, a payment network, although like all like technical, uh, you know, technology improvements, we believe that if you can build a more efficient payment network, then, you know, that potentially has the ability to supplant the existing, uh, you know, solutions that are out there. But what we're actually trying to create is a currency that can be used on the blockchain and is programmable. So the, the end goal being that we can enable different services like uh, decentralized insurance, so if you're an insurance uh, platform or, or you're trying to build a decentralized insurance platform that's trustless, you need a, a stable unit of account with which for the, you know, those contracts to be uh, um, you know, created with. Because if you're using Ether or some you know, volatile currency, you're, you have a situation where if the contract is six months long, uh, you know, the, the value could go up or down by you know, five or tenfold and the, the contract could be worthless or, or you know, conversely, could be too expensive to pay out. Right. I mean, look, I think we're up to, I'm just trying to look now what we're up to in terms of the number of cryptocurrencies. It's like, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, 1,600. So, you know, and, and in Haven is uh, one of, just one of those. I mean, you've got a decent market cap of, what, 21 million, but, you know, I mean, how do you think this is going to play out, this whole, this whole area? I think right now we've got, a, a, you know, obviously, as you said, there's a lot of speculation. And, and we've seen that, you know, a fair amount of heat has come out of the market because people have realized that there's a lot of speculation and, and not as much uh, delivery as you'd probably like to see. I think where the value is going to accrue in the shorter term is going to be the, the building blocks, the, the protocol level uh, solutions. And there's no question right now that everyone in the cryptocurrency space is, is pretty aware that uh, stability and, and you know, a stable coin of some kind is, is pretty useful. So there's a lot of people that are working on this, but there's not too many people that are in market. And, you know, Tether, ourselves, Maker, and Digix are probably the only people that are really you know, in market and, and working on uh, you know, a scalable solution. And so I think, you know, things like, uh, things like, you know, Zero X as a, a protocol for uh, for trading uh, is where a lot of the value is going to accrue. The vast majority of the the currencies that are out there uh, are not really designed to necessarily do that much. You know, they're they're designed as a medium of exchange within their own closed ecosystem, and it remains to be seen whether or not those ecosystems will survive. But 
the the people who are building protocol level solutions that other people can build on top of, I think those are the ones that if they're successful, you know, they'll do very well. It's it's such an interesting um, collection. This whole area is such an interesting collection <laughs> of of scam artists and philanthropists. I mean, uh, I'm not suggesting you're a scam artist, uh, and what you're running is a foundation, you know, and it seems to be a not-for-profit, although you'll end up with 12% of the havens. So presumably, you know, the foundation will end up, if, if it works, you'll make a fair bit of money. But, yeah, I mean, what sort of, I mean, what sort of pond do you think you're playing in? Is it, is it, a, um, is it a shark tank or a, or a bunch of uh, philanthropists? I think there's a there's a crypto attracts a very wide spectrum of people. And on one hand, you have people that are you know crypto anarchists uh, who believe in decentralizing power and and you know trying to uh, I guess break down some of the the centralized structures that we have and and to create you know a more egalitarian financial system. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got people who are probably just taking advantage of a really hot space, which you're always going to have, whether it's the internet or you know you can, you can look at almost any space that, that gets hot. People will flood in. They're following the money, and they're you know they're trying to extract as much value as possible. Obviously, the ones that are doing that are not going to have much longevity, and that's why it's really critical if you are playing in this space that you look for what the actual use case is, and and you know that there is some sort of long term uh, value. So, you know, when you look at things like uh, protocol level uh, solutions for the internet, you know, SMTP, TCPIP, those things have lasted a really long time um, and they're free. You know, so a lot of what's being created in crypto is open source. And even though there's a, a token element of it so that it's not free um, to use, it is free in, in the sense of, you know, it's open source software and anyone who doesn't like what we're doing, for example, can take the Haven solution and they can fork it and they can create a, a different solution. And I think that openness is and transparency is something that's really critical, but it also, you know, is able to be gained a little bit as well. And what about you? What are you? Which which of those two sorts of people are you? The the uh, those in it for because it's a hot area or because you. Um you're a, what, what, what did you say, a crypto anarchist? A crypto anarchist? <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I, I, for good or ill, probably fall more into the crypto anarchist camp, uh, to be honest. I think that, um, you know, crypto allows us to do things that we've never been able to do before. And I think it enables things that, uh, that you know, would not have been possible without it. And so as an enabler, as a, as a new technology, I think it's incredible. And we haven't even scratched the surface uh, on what's possible. So once we've got all of these protocol level solutions and we've got the ability to scale, because you know right now the the system can't handle any level of uh, you know talking about Ethereum specifically, the blockchain we're building on, uh, it can't handle you know transactions uh, for even a few thousand people concurrently. So it's not ready for mainstream at all. I note that uh, you're a singer in a band in Boston for a while called the Lie Society. How did that prepare you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was it was a, an interesting experience uh, being uh, being in um, in Boston for five years, and you know, music scene in Boston obviously has a, a very long uh, and, and storied history. So um, you know, I got to play at some amazing venues, and and we had uh, a really good time. Uh, 
uh, I still get out the guitar and, and play every once in a while. Um, and I see that you're also uh, you're on the you're advisor on the advisory council of the Australian Digital Commerce Association. Um, uh, what's your kind of um, take on on the whole area in Australia? How it's going? Is it um, is it as active as it seems on the outside? Is there, is there seems to be a lot going on? There is a lot going on, and I think there's a couple of reasons for it. You know, Australia has uh, historically really struggled to uh, have a, a strong VC community, um, and and you know. I think getting funding in Australia has been very challenging for early stage businesses. It's a small market. It's hard to scale. Uh, and, and I think that we're now seeing a lot of people who are realizing that being able to access global capital via uh, crypto using you know, a, a token sale um, as a model uh, is an opportunity for them to be able to stay in Australia, not have to go to Silicon Valley and be able to raise money. And so I think over the next 12 to 18 months, particularly because you know, from a regulatory perspective, we've got a fairly stable regime. You know, it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been too aggressive like we've seen. You know, with some other places trying to to ban things and shut things down. I think we'll see a lot of people that will attempt to uh, you know leverage this access to capital to um, you know to to raise money and and launch new solutions, new businesses. Yeah, it does seem to me that um, both the uh, Securities Investments Commission and the Tax Office have taken a pretty enlightened approach to all this and in, in an approach that is encouraging of the area. Do you think that um, it could those things could take Australia into some kind of global leadership in the area? I think certainly I'd, I'd like to hope so, um, and, and I absolutely agree with you. I think that the approach has been very measured and, and, uh, and you know, pretty impressive, to be honest. Uh, you know, th- th- there's no question that we need to foster a more active uh, entrepreneurial community in Australia, and and there's been a number of different things that have been you know attempted to to do that. But um, certainly from my perspective, when you go over to to San Francisco or Silicon Valley, you do notice that there is a, a big difference, which is you've got you know these large networks of founders who've been successful. They've had multiple exits. They're supporting. Um, new people coming to the ecosystem. And I think we've failed to kind of reach that critical mass here in the past. Again, it's a smaller market, so it's harder to get that. But if anything that we can do to to foster, uh, you know, startups in Australia, I think we should be we should be looking to do. And, and I think that, you know, crypto is definitely something that, uh, that people will be looking at uh, in, you know, in that regard. And that was Kane Warwick, the founder and CEO of Haven, a cryptocurrency based in Australia. <laughs>